0: listening to New Life Before. We pray that this message encourages you and helps you stay Jesus focused. A tale of two trees, all right? And obviously, we all know what the two trees are. This is the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Amen. So we're just going to talk about that, and we're going to see uh, and understand uh, the meaning of these two trees and why in the Garden of Eden, these two trees were very central, all right, to our story, to the story of humankind. So let's begin with Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 in the Amplified Bible. Genesis 2, verse 8 to 10 in the Amplified Bible. All right, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, which is delight, and there he put the man whom he had formed, framed, and constituted. Verse 9, "'And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight or to be desired, good, suitable, pleasant for food, the tree of life also in the center of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of the difference between good and evil and blessing and calamity.'" Verse 10, "'Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden.'" And from there, it divided and became four river heads, all right? So that will be our main text, taking uh, everything that is in there and slowly trying to learn what it is saying. Now, Eden, obviously, it means God's delight, God's pleasure, and God's delight. And in the center of God's pleasure and delight, he placed in it two trees, all right? Now, we all know that Eden was made for man, that everything in the garden of Eden was prepared for man before man came into the picture. Everything that he needed was already found in the garden. Do you believe that? Amen. And so it is with us. God has prepared everything already for you. How many of you know that in Christ you already have this garden of Eden where in Christ you have everything you need? Right. Now it says that at the center of the garden... All right, he placed two trees, which is the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the center, it talks about the center. Now, as human beings, as spiritual beings, we do have in our center what we call our heart, from which flows out life, our heart. Our heart is called the center of our being. And in that center, there is always an opportunity to choose life and death. How many of you believe that? There is an opportunity always to choose. You will always be bombarded in life by choices, all right? And so there is always an opportunity to choose. And what I love about this is that when it said that it was at the center, what God was saying was that in that center, God has given you free will to choose him and to love him. See, we are not robots, All right? God gave us the ability to choose. Hence, the question so many people are asking is why did he have to put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden when he did not want man to eat it? Wouldn't it have been easier for God and we wouldn't be in this mess if God just gave the tree of life, right? But then if he just gave the tree of life, then he would have taken away man's right to choose. Well, not right, but man's ability to choose. And how many of you know that I would like Giselle to love me out of his own free will. I mean, a gun wasn't put to his head when he married me. No, right? So there was no gun. He wasn't forced to. It wasn't something that, robotically, okay, I'm going to marry Mylene whether I like it or not. No, he chose to marry me. And in the same way, we want to be able to choose to love God because then out of our hearts, things will flow freely and not forced, Right? And that's what God wants. And so God gave us the ability to choose. And so in the center of our heart, he wants our relationship with him to be intentional. All right? We talked about intentional relationships. That we would pursue God intentionally. So he wants relationships on purpose. Then he also says in verse 10 that there is a river that is coming out of Eden to water the garden, and from that it is divided into four riverheads. And how many of you know the river symbolizes provision? So there was a river of provision flowing in the garden. Now about these two trees. Now let's go to Jew- Genesis two fifteen to 17 in the Amplified Bible, talking about these two trees. All right? Genesis two fifteen says, And the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden, to tend and guard and keep it. Now I love that because... Adam was not just there to enjoy the garden, but he was given a task. He was given something to do there, and that was to guard the garden. That means there was an enemy that needed the garden to be guarded from, all right? Now, how many of you know by this time, Satan, the enemy of man and the enemy of God, had already fallen from heaven by this time, all right? So, we all know that You know, God knew that there was an enemy, and so therefore he was telling Adam, you know what, I'm going to give you the empowerment. I'm going to give you everything that you need, but I want you to tend. I want you to cultivate, and I want you to guard this garden. I want you to keep this garden. And how many of you know if the Garden of Eden, uh, and the center of it represents our heart, God is wanting us to guard our hearts? All right, okay? And verse 16, and the Lord God, now it says here, commanded the man saying, you may freely eat. Of every tree of the garden, verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and blessing and calamity, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And this just says so much about human nature. I mean, Adam had everything. Can you imagine how many trees were available to him at his disposal to eat I mean, I cannot even begin to imagine how many plants, how many trees were good for food in that garden. And there's this one tree that is not supposed to touch. But I don't know what it is. But human nature is like, you have everything, and yet we look for the one thing we do not have. Isn't that true? You may be like, oh, you know, she has this and she has that. I have this and have that, but, you know, I wish I had that. And sometimes, you know, if you don't have it at this point, well, God must be saying you don't need it at this point. You know? And we just need to trust God that whatever it is that we have today is what we need. And the time that when we need it, that he will give it to us. Amen. All right. Something to say about that. Now, Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Now, this is the temptation and the fall of man. Let's read it. There's so much to see here. Now, the serpent was more cunning. What does cunning mean? Crafty, devious, deceptive. He was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? First of all, it's trying to confuse her. Because how many of you know God did not say that? Not every tree. And a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Now, let me say something about that. How many of you know that the things, the reason you're tempted with things, that it looks good, feels good, tastes good, but not necessarily good for you. And so she decided with the sight of her eyes. She decided with like, you know, what was good in her sight. And sin is like that. Or else we wouldn't, we wouldn't like any sin, right? We wouldn't want to sin. I mean, if sin was ugly, why would you want to sin, right? But the devil exactly knows that he's going, to, he's going to use your senses, your sense of sight, your sense of smell, your sense of touch to entice you with something that looks good on the outside but is really bad for you, amen? That's why we need the Spirit of God. Now, I'm going ahead of myself, but let's read on. And then she says, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate, a lot to say about that, but that's not our message. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. All right, now we all know that this was the beginning of the fall of man. Now, my question was, what was Adam and Eve's sin? Why were they driven out of the garden? They did not commit adultery. They did not steal. They did not murder. The Ten Commandments weren't there yet. So they didn't do anything like that. So what was it that caused them to be deceived? It all began, and listen to me very, very closely. It all began when Adam and Eve believed a lie instead of the truth. I will say that again because it is so important. It all began when Adam and Eve believed a lie instead of the truth. God made only one decree. What was that? That he would not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if they agreed to that, they were acknowledging, they were recognizing, they were declaring that only God and God alone determines what is right and what is wrong. Hello? God and God alone determines what is right and what is wrong. And by partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were saying, well, I want to be that too. I want to determine what is good and what is right in my own sight. That's what they were saying because, you know, for the longest time, they were depending on God for the way they lived. God telling them, God guiding them, being with God, walking with God in the cool of the day, that's how they lived. And all of a sudden, it was like, well, you know what? I, I want to know for myself what is good and right. I want to have the knowledge of good and evil. So when they partaked, partook of that, they already determined that they themselves could discern between good and evil. See, this is the thing. Once we become children of God... Once you are born again, and you have the ability to plug into the truth of God's word, how many many of you know that Satan has already lost his most important battle? Okay, everybody's like, are you getting what I'm saying? How many of you know when you become born again, when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Satan has already lost his most important battle? Because you're saved. Yay, you're going to heaven. Satan lost you, right? So what does he do? Well, I'm just going to deceive you. So you're going to live your Christian life so miserably. I want to lie to you. I want to deceive you. I will never let you know what you have in Christ. Yeah, you're in Christ, but guess what? I'm going to blind you with lies and deception and trickery and cunning so you never walk out what God has for you. Yeah, 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 you're going to go to heaven, but you're going to live miserable here on earth. That is the lie of the enemy that he wants to give to you. His only weapon against us is to try to fill our heads with error. Error, E-double-R-O-R, E-double-R-O-R, error. He wants to fill our lives with error so that we never discover what we have in Christ. I will show you a wonderful verse in John 8, 32, but I want it, I want it in, uh, in the Woost translation. I love the Wu's translation. W-U-E-S-T. All right? And I want it up there. Wu's translation. All right. Love it. Look at this. And you shall know the truth in an experiential way. And the truth shall make you free. You know this verse? You shall know the truth. The truth tells me. I love Wu's translation because it just doesn't say you shall know the truth. It says you shall know the truth in an experiential way. That means you will have encounters. And these encounters with the truth shall make you free. Now, if the knowledge and an encounter with the truth makes you free, then guess what? An error or a lie will put you in bondage. You understand? If the truth sets you free, then an error puts you in bondage. So what caused Adam and Eve to go into bondage? They believed a lie instead of the truth. And what was this lie? This lie was, I can know more than you, God. I can know about what's right and good and wrong and evil. I don't need you to tell me the truth. I can discover it for myself because now I have the knowledge of good and evil. How many of you know that is the ultimate lie? That is the ultimate error. And we see that happening right now. The day that Adam chose to eat of that tree, he determined for himself, for himself, what was right, what was wrong, what was good, what was evil. This is the problem. We are not God. We do not have, in and of our own, ability to determine what is good and what is right. That's why people keep redefining things, they keep redefining marriage. Because for them, that's my definition of good and evil. Hello? You cannot redefine what God has already defined. And so many people are like, well, you know what? This is what I think about family. Divorce is okay, separation is okay, it's good, it's for my well-being, you know, I'm being hurt in that marriage, and blah, 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 blah. So you know what? It's good and right for divorce. But see, that is not the way God defined family and culture and all those things. That's why right now there exists relative truth. In the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, absolute truth is absent. What's true for you may not be true for me. What's good for you may not be good for me, but whatever. Just live your life. If it feels good, do it. If it looks good, do it. Why? Because it seems good. That is my knowledge of good and evil. And how many of you know that is the ultimate lie? Because it brings you into bondage. You are all very quiet. But are you getting what I'm saying? Adam and Eve presumed to know what was good and right by themselves. To think that we can be more like God by our own efforts is actually self-righteousness, and it is the sin of unbelief. To actually think that we can make ourselves more righteous and godly by our efforts is an insult to the cross of Calvary. We cannot do anything in and of our own strength. We cannot presume to know what is good and right. Now, when I say, you know, you go to the groceries, there's a good apple, bad apple, whatever, that's fine. But what I'm talking about is the decisions you make in life. Because not everything good is beneficial for you. And how do we know that? We have to know that with dependency in God, through dependency to God, the leading of the Holy Spirit. But the knowledge of the tree of good and evil operates by independency from God. Because you presume to know. You presume you know everything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. True Christianity is not about trying to become like Christ, but it is accepting that you are already in Christ by faith. God doesn't want us to be more righteous. Why? Because he already wants us to rest in the righteousness that he has given us. Perfect righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our righteousness was not worked for. Our righteousness was not earned. Our righteousness was received. We became righteous by virtue of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And Adam and Eve forgot that they were created in the image and likeness of God. The enemy lied to them. You will become like God. Well, guess what? They already had the image and likeness of God. All right? Genesis one twenty six says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and Over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, God said, let us make man in our own image and likeness. So they were already like God. They had God's DNA. They had God's very nature. But our likeness and our image of God was because of our dependence on God. It was because of our union with God. And the moment, the moment they ate of that tree, they died spiritually They got separated from God. You know why they were saying, I can do it on my own. I can judge for myself. I can judge what is right and what is wrong. I can discover it for myself. God, I don't need you. That's what they were saying. Adam and Eve tried to be more like God by eating from the tree, but they did not know that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil operated by independence from God. And how many of you know without Jesus, we cannot do anything? we cannot do anything. That was the lie that they fell for. And of course, we all know after they ate, they saw they were naked. Of course, they were covered with the glory of God. Psalm 8 says that, you know, they were embraced. They were crowned with glory and honor. That was their life. That was their sustenance, the presence of God infused life into them. They were living by the life of God. And the minute they said, I can do it in and of my own strength, they realized the glory lifted and they realized they were naked, and then again, through self-righteousness, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, tried it in of those saying, oh, I mean, you know, and they tried to cover it with leaves, all right, so the day that they ate it, they died, and what was that, it wasn't a physical death, Adam lived on, you know, to be like 900 years old, but how many of you know that spiritually, they died, they were disconnected from God, so, The curse came into all humankind because Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So why did God specifically tell them not to eat from that? Now we know the tree represents man's self-rule, self-governance. This tree represents an assumed independence from God in all areas of life. In fact, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they found themselves in a place where their behavior... Their performance, the doing of right and wrong became the focus of their life. It became the defining issue of life. It was like all of a sudden they placed upon themselves a chore chart. <laughs> what is a chore chart? Do this, do that. If you do good, you'll be blessed. If you do evil, well, get ready. You're, you're, you're under the curse because it does say it is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and blessing and calamity. So it was the tree of the knowledge of good with the consequence of blessing and and evil with the consequence of calamity. So now that's how they lived. They lived with behavior focus. They now they try to do good. They try to do good because, you know, oh, by doing good, I'm gonna get blessed. If I do bad, oh. Blah, blah, blah. So that was how they lived. They did not live anymore by the life of God, but they lived by trying to earn uh trying to please God, uh, trying to do things to be accepted and all that. And that became the defining issue of their life. Now their focus was on their behavior and not on God. That's what happened, all right? Focusing on performance and earning instead of trusting in his identity and relationship to live right. How many of you know, if you're connected with God, if you're abiding with God, if you know who you are in Christ, if you are so one with the Father, you won't have any problem living right. Now, yes, there will be struggles and yes, that, but how many of you know the spirit in you will overcome the temptation and the struggles and the, you know, and you will make the right decisions because you will make in it, you are making it from that place of abiding instead of trying to figure out if it's right or wrong. So I am all for Christian behavior. I am all for Christian disciplines, but we can preach Christian behavior and we can preach Christian disciplines until we are blue in the face. But if we do not tell people who they are in Christ, if we do not tell people that they have a new nature, if we do not tell people that that there is an empowerment that comes from heaven, we are setting people up for failure and condemnation. So don't get me wrong. I want people to live right, but I want to tell them how. Because if you do not tell them how, they will get frustrated and condemned, and they will never want to have anything to do with Christianity ever again. But if they are here for relationship, if they are here knowing that they are loved, if they know that they are unconditionally loved by God, that on the inside of them, they are the righteousness of God in Christ, that maybe they will slip and maybe they will fall, but it doesn't change the way God looks at them. They will be empowered to be brought up out of a lifestyle of sin and live right. But the focus is not on behavior. The focus is on the life of God on the inside of you. You you get what I'm saying? So your knowledge of good and evil does nothing to promote a life of dependency on Jesus. Does nothing. Because unsaved people can do good things. People who do not know God do wonderful things. So we cannot depend on whether we do good or bad to live a life of victory in Christ. Come on now. Even a person who doesn't believe in Jesus can do the right thing. But sometimes a good thing may not be the right thing for you. For example, how many of you know that, all right, um, like a missionary who wants to go to Africa and settle there and preach to the tribes in Africa and tell them about Jesus. How many of you know that is a wonderful thing? Nobody agrees? It is a good thing. It is a good thing to go. If you say good and evil, definitely good. Right? How many of you know that the the tree can be a source of good as well as evil? Knowledge of good and evil. But this is the thing. If I said, well, that's a good thing. Hey, honey, that's a good thing. Let's just leave the fort, go to Africa, stay there, and just minister to the tribes there. What do you think? It's a good thing, right? Now, if we did that, how many of you know we would be going against the will of God for us? Because we're not called to go to Africa. We're called to stay here. We're called to pastor this church, right? So if we did a good thing, it's not necessarily the right thing. But because we didn't trust in the leading of God, but we said, no, we know what's right or wrong. I can discern. This is good. Let's go. There's no life there. There's no grace there. We'd probably go home. Oh, my God. I hate Christianity. Why? You weren't called to go there. Now, a lot of people are called to go there. If you're called, go. Be empowered. Be blessed. That is your right thing. It is a good thing. But it will be right for some, and it won't be right for others. Do you get what I mean? And how do we discern that? We discern that by the life of God on the inside of us. Amen? Consider the religious person who reads the Bible to learn what pleases God. They are essentially saying, like the rich young ruler, if you know the story, teacher, what good thing must I do to earn eternal life? I want us to go there because I want you to see the way Jesus thinks. All right? Let's go to Mark 10 verse 17 to 22. Mark 10, verse 17 to 22. Because the the thinking of a religious person is this, if I do good and avoid evil, I will be judged righteous. All right? So it's about behavior. Now, how many of you know your righteousness is not about your performance? It's about your being in Christ, okay? So, but from religiously, that makes perfect sense, right? But look what Jesus did all right? And so many people in the church are like, okay, what must I do? I want to be pleasing to God. So Mark 10, 17, 22, are you there? Okay, now as he, Jesus, was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, now this is a rich young ruler, okay? Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Now verse 19, Now, a lot of people say, uh, why did he tell them the commandments? I mean, New Covenant, you know, it's not about it. But how many of you know that Jesus at that time was living under the law? So what he did when, when, when this person said, what must I do? Well, then, if you're asking me what to do, well, under the Old Covenant and under the law, these are what you must do, right? So that's what Jesus said. Well, he, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. How many commandments was that? Hey, eh? six. Six commandments. Just said six commandments, and then and then the rich young he, he answered, said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Perfect, perfect, right? I mean, his performance was impeccable, impeccable. I mean, just six of those laws out of ten. How many of you know that's already good? You passed, right? Oh, actually, if he didn't do the other four, he didn't pass. You break one, you break all. All right? But we don't know that based on the story. But look at verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I like that. Loved him. That did not come from the law. That came from love. That came from love. Loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. And you might be thinking, wait, one thing you lack? No, four things you lack. That was six laws. Right? So Jesus could have have said, based on the law, if he was talking about the law, four things you like. I didn't go through the other four. Let's see. If you pass, he only said six. And he said, I did all that. And Jesus said, one thing you like. And all of a sudden, tells this man what must he do to earn eternal life. And look at what he said. Go your way. Sell whatever you have. Give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, follow me. In essence, it was like Jesus was not telling this rich young ruler, I'm against riches, I'm against all that. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, fine, have all that, but don't trust them, trust me. Because he was saying, even if you give that all away, you have treasure in heaven. If you have a treasure in heaven, guess what? You have treasure on earth. Right. Come on, come on, right? What's whatever's in heaven, let it be on earth. So it wasn't about you need to be poor to go to heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, don't let these treasures have you. And to do that, just just sell it. Don't worry, you won't be in lack because you're going to come and follow me. But he said, he was sad at his word, went away sorrowful. Now, what was Jesus' answer to this rich young ruler when he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what did Jesus say? He presented himself, me. me. Come follow me. I don't need your behavior. I don't need your performance. I want you. I want to have relationship with you. I want to teach you. I want to guide you. Don't worry about performance. That'll come as long as you're with me. That's what he was saying. As long as you're with me. Jesus was saying, I want you and me together. Come follow me and come trust me. It is not about a list Eternal life is not a list of do's and don'ts. It is not a chore chart that you check out. It is not your perfect behavior, but it is your relationship with me. That's what he was saying. And many are still eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the knowledge of God's righteousness and trying to attain it by human efforts rather than eating the tree of life. But God's plan all along for man since the beginning was that we would eat from the tree of life. And who is this tree of life? It is Jesus. Jesus is the tree of life. It represents Jesus. In John 1, 4, very, very quickly, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. It was the knowledge. It was the light. It was the illumination of men. He didn't need the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He just needed Jesus. Because with Jesus, there would be illumination. That Jesus is the light, the illumination, the wisdom of man. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. First John five 11. I'm just going to give you these verses to show you that Jesus represents, that uh, the tree of life represents Jesus. And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life, and this life is in his son. Only life can be found in the Son. John 14, verse 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Remember what I said from the beginning, that the reason Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden was because they believed a lie instead of the truth. And who is truth? Jesus is truth. And you shall know Jesus. You shall know the truth in an experiential way. And you shall know Jesus in an experiential way. And Jesus shall make you free. Jesus is the Word. If you know the Word in an experiential way, the Word shall make you free. Let me tell you something about the Word. We need a plumb line, a plumb line of Scripture, a plumb line of Scripture against which we can examine or determine every thought, every uh, suggestion, everything that worldly wisdom tries to put against us, we must have this plumb line of scripture. Now, what is a plumb line? I have a picture of a plumb line. It, it is a, a, a tool, a small, heavy object attached to a string of rope that is used specially to see if something such as a wall is straight. Look at that. That is a plumb line. Okay, that's how it looks like. And the carpenters would use the plumb line to determine whether a house or a building or a wall is straight. Now, how many of you want a straight house? You don't want a crooked house that can be tossed to and fro by the wind. You want a plumb line so that they know that this is straight. Now, the carpenters depend on the plumb line. They cannot, and I pray that when you build your house, you will have a carpenter who uses a plumb line like this or a measuring tool. Why? Because he cannot eyeball it. How many of you know that's scary? If if you depend on the carpenter's discernment of good and evil to build your house looks good are you sure eh, it looks good no wait no measure it right we have a measuring stick. have have that that standard that is inviolate it cannot be moved it is something that you measure with it doesn't matter if to the carpenter it doesn't look straight but the plumb line says it's straight guess what it's straight if the plumb line says it's straight it's straight i don't feel it's straight i don't care how you feel I don't think it's right. I don't care about what you think. I care about what the plumb line says. We need to have a plumb line of scripture. We cannot be the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, I know that. I know. Uh, yeah, but No, we need to have. L- l- I love it. The word is the plumb line. Amen. Look at Isaiah 28, verse 16 to 17. Thank you, Mitchie, for giving me this verse. I was saying, there's a verse. There's a verse that talks about the plumb line. All right. Without the plumb line of scripture, look, without the life of God, without the word, we have no way of knowing what is truth and error. There is no way. No way. All right? So Isaiah 28, 16 to 17 message Bible. It says here, but the master God has something to say to this. Please put it there because I want them to see it. Okay. Watch closely. I am laying a foundation in Zion. A solid granite foundation, squared and true. In another translation, it's the cornerstone. Who is the cornerstone? Okay, so in another translation, I'm laying a cornerstone in Zion. He's saying a solid granite foundation, squared and true. And this is the meaning of the stone. A trusting life won't topple. If you are are living your life based on the plumb line, based on the tree of life, eating from the tree of life, guess what? Your life won't topple. Because you're not trusting in your knowledge of good and evil, but you're trusting in the life of God on the inside of you. Verse 17, I'll make justice the measuring stick. I love it. How many of you know you have been judged righteous? And righteousness, the plumb line for the building. And a hailstorm will knock down the shanty town of lies, and a flash flood will wash out the rubble. That means this plumb line will discern between a lie and the truth. And when you know the truth in an experiential way, the truth shall make you free. Hallelujah. So the tree of life in Eden, what does it symbolize? It symbolizes Christ in two ways. The tree of life was centrally located in the Garden of Eden. It was centrally located in the Garden of Eden. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. Therefore, it was readily accessible to Adam. You didn't have to search for it. All he had to go was go to the middle, to the center, easily accessible to Adam. Likewise, Christ is the center of our hearts. Christ needs to be the focal point. Christ needs to be that center where we go to when we don't know what to do and we don't presume to know. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's going to go into that business. Maybe I should go. Wait. Center. And the Lord says, that might be good for them. That's not good for you. Go this way. Go this way. Why? Center, plumb line, all right? John 3.30 in the Message Bible. I love John 3.30 in the Message Bible. Can they see it? John 3.30 in the Message Bible says, this is the assigned moment for Jesus to move into the center and when I slip off to the sidelines. I love that. In the New King James, it's actually he must increase, but I must decrease. What does that mean? Put Jesus at the center. The second thing about the tree of life, it was associated with a very unique river. Remember the river of provision? Right? Remember that? The uniqueness of this river lies in the fact that after watering God's garden, it was the source of four other rivers. I'm telling you, when you eat of the tree of life, there is the water on the inside of you, who Jesus is the source, and you will now be because of Jesus on the inside of you, because you're eating from the tree of life, you will be now that source of life for others. Four rivers going out from that one river. That is a picture of your life. In Revelations 22, verse 1 to 5, I will show you what happens when you eat from the tree of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, Clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. Verse 2: In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. How many of you want that? That means you are fruitful in every season. And it says: The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Well, guess what? With Christ on the inside of you, you can bring healing to the nations. Jesus on the inside of you. Christ bringing healing to the nations through you. Verse 3, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him. You know the curse of the law is that you're trying and trying to please God in and of your own strength. That's the curse of the law. Well, guess what? When you eat from the tree of life, you are redeemed from the curse. And then it says in verse 4, they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. I love that. (laughs) You're marked for Jesus. There shall be no night there. There need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. That is a picture of you as you eat from the tree of life. Amen. Hallelujah. So many more verses. But what is the core issue of the tale of two trees? What is the core issue? The core issue is who do you trust in? Do you trust in your knowledge of what is good and what is evil? Because as human beings, because of the fall, we have an innate ability on the inside. That's good, that's evil. We decide that's good, that's evil. The problem is without the life of God, what's good and evil, what's good to you, might not be good for you. That's the problem. But when we eat, of the tree of life, when we trust in the life of Jesus on the inside of us, when we trust in His leading, His love and His grace, things that may seem good outside, you will know that seems good, but you know, I just sense in my spirit. How many of you have ever made a decision because you sensed it in your heart and in your spirit, right? That it didn't make sense. It looked crooked. It didn't feel uh, everybody's going there. And it, but the plumb line of the Spirit of God and the life of God and the Word of God said, no, that's straight. I want you to go there. That's where Jesus wants us to go. He doesn't want us to depend on ourselves. He wants us to depend on Him. He wants us to live life in and through Him. Amen? Hallelujah. And It says here in John 6, 57, We must be consciously eating from the tree of life. Consciously eating of Jesus, feeding on Jesus. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. I will give you a summary of the two trees. And it is found in Jeremiah 17. Verse 5 to 8, and I will end with this. The tale of the true trees in summary. Verse 5. Thus says the Lord, and this is the tale of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Cursed with great evil is the strong man who trusts in and relies on frail man, making weak human flesh his arm, and his mind and heart turn aside from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub or a person naked and destitute in the desert. Does that sound familiar? Weren't Adam and Eve naked? They found themselves naked when they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he shall not see any good come, but shall dwell in the parched places in the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. That is the tale of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we have the tree of life. And as you lift your hands today, let me pray this verse over you. Because I believe that from this day on, you will choose to partake of the tree of life. Let me pray over you. In the name of Jesus, as you partake of this tree, the tree of life, Jesus Christ himself, when you partake of that, this is your story, that you are most blessed because you believe in, trust in, and rely on the Lord, whose hope and confidence the Lord is. You shall be like a tree planted by the waters that spreads out its roots by the river. And you shall not see and fear when heat comes, but your leaves shall always be green. You shall not be anxious and full of care in the year of drought, nor shall you cease from yielding fruit. Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare that as we have heard your word today, that we choose... To partake from the tree of life. We do not pursue or assume to know everything. To know what good and evil is without you. We can only discern that when we are with you. When we live life connected to you and abiding in you. So in the name of Jesus I declare over New Life the Fort. We are those who only partake of the tree of life. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I declare... You are fruitful, you are blessed, and that can never be changed. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Let's give glory to God today. Before I end the service, I, I just want to make sure that all of you have partaken of the tree of life. Maybe there are some of you here, you have never tasted life, you have never partook of this tree. Jesus Christ Himself. You have never made the decision to receive Him into your life as Lord and Savior. Well, today there is an invitation here. It is not about what you should do. It is about a man who is offering Himself to you. It about it is about entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't done that, but you want to do so now. Maybe there are some of you here, and you are saying, "Pastor, please pray for me. I'm so tired. I'm sick." and tired of living life in my own strength i'm trying to do good i'm trying to please god but i always fail i can't handle it anymore pastor would you please pray for me i need jesus so if that is your prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place today please if this is your prayer and you're saying pastor i need jesus i want him today could you just raise your hand right where you are and i'm going to pray for you thank you for that hand ma'am thank you for that hand Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the hands that are raised. Thank you. Thank you for hands all over the place. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. And if you are in the fourth floor, and if you are raising your hand, I don't have to see it. I'm not important. God is. He sees your hand. He sees the decision you're making. For those of you who have raised your hand, you're making the best decision of your life to receive Jesus Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior. You may put down your hands right now. And I want to lead you in a prayer. It is a prayer not to join a religion, not to join a church. That's not something you need to do to inherit eternal life. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer to receive the person, Jesus Christ, life himself. So congregation, let us pray this prayer with those who are going to pray it for the first time. Jesus, I recognize that you are the tree of life. And today... I make a decision to feed on you to partake of you Jesus I receive you into my heart be my Lord be my Savior I choose this day to follow you with all my heart and I believe that as I receive eternal life today That I will be empowered to live, to live the life that you have prepared for me. I thank you, Jesus, for this new life that I have in you today. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. For more information, follow us on social media or visit our website at newlifepore.com.